You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Jesus was tempted in every way, in lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, and he conquered. He was victorious over the enemy, right in the enemy's domain, in the worst human situation that you could imagine, and he conquered. And his victory shows us the way to victory. That's why Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, of our faith. He shows us the way. In today's message, Pastor Danny will compare the temptation of Adam and Eve to what Jesus experienced. Adam and Eve were living in perfection. It was a paradise as we've never known. There was only one source of temptation, and everything else all around them was a reminder of their Creator and His care for them. Contrast that to Jesus, hungry in the wilderness, tempted by Satan with his most basic human needs, yet he stood victorious where every other man would have succumbed. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 as he begins his message, The Victorious Christian Life. be in Mark chapter 1, but I want us to start out very briefly in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. One more verse. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What does that mean? you're still alive. You haven't gone to a point where in the will of God for your life, you've had to actually give your life. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So he shows the way. He leads the way. Now, Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee And was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the desert and he was in the desert 40 days. 
being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and that statement has consumed me for hours this week in the context of the passage and of other scripture. And with that statement, and angels attended him. It means angels ministered to him in that situation. One commentator says this, why does Mark say that he was with the wild beast or the wild animals? Were these animals energized by Satan to seek to destroy the Lord? Or were they docile in the presence of their creator? His next statement, this commentator says, we can only ask the questions. I read that when I'm reading in commentary, and I want to close that commentary and throw it up against the wall. What do you mean we can only ask the questions? Come on, give me your opinion. Give me some kind of little bit of insight on why God tells us through the pen of Mark that Jesus in the wilderness, in the time of temptation by Satan, was with the wild animals. Mark is the most succinct of all four gospel accounts. And as the most succinct, we have to know that if God tells us that Jesus was with the wild animals, that's significant. And if it's significant, God doesn't want to hide it from us. There's a reason that this gospel tells us he was with the wild animals. And since the commentator didn't tell us, I'm going to take a shot at it. Not limited to, but these are the types of wild animals that would have been in the land of Israel in the wilderness in this day. There were lions, bears, jackals, and wild dogs. And I cannot stress enough that these were not tame animals. The word translated wild animals, wild, it means brutal, savage, ferocious. One commentator says this, the presence of wild animals stresses the hostile character of the desert region as Satan's domain. Now I think he's getting somewhere. One of our young theologians that played drums for us this morning, Kevin, pretty smart guy, he's in seminary online. I asked him about this. He went home last night as I asked him in the green room before the Saturday night service. He did some more study. And he said in the context that these wild animals and the angels ministering to Jesus, it was Jesus as though he were in Jurassic Park and the angels are coming to his defense. Even though he's the king of glory and the creator of the universe, these animals, these wild animals, he believes, as I do, they were kind of, if you will, on Satan's side. You say, well, I've never heard of animals being on Satan's side. Well, you never thought about the Garden of Eden very deeply because there was at least one animal collaborating with Satan, the serpent. And Satan used the serpent. And he was wrong. Satan using the serpent, and the serpent was wrong. That's why God said to the serpent, cursed are you. On your belly you'll crawl. Dust you'll eat all the days of your life. And now, one of the titles for Lucifer is that ancient serpent, the devil. Another title, the dragon. Our great, great grandparents, Adam and Eve. <laughs> what a world. You ever thought deeply about the world they lived in? I'm talking about before what's called the fall of man, before they sin. 
Paradise. I mean, unspoiled paradise. There's no sin. There's no curse. Adam, as he cared for the garden, there were no thorns with the roses. There were no issues between he and Eve. They had no kids. That's all the parents laughing. It was just them, God, and all their pets. Adam named all the animals. None of them were wild. They didn't need cages. They didn't need protection from, from even the dinosaurs. There were dinosaurs, you know. In that environment, in a perfect environment in paradise, they failed. Jesus is in the worst possible environment. Other gospel writers tell us during this 40 days in the wilderness with the wild animals, he fasted for 40 days. You fast for 40 days and you don't get something to eat very quickly. At the end of that, you will die. And they tell us, I've never fasted that long, not even close. But at some point, you're, you're Your hunger pains go away, but then when they come back, when you're approaching death, they come back with a vengeance. And in that weakened, needy state, Jesus was tempted in every way, in lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and he conquered. He was victorious over the enemy, right in the enemy's domain, in the worst human situation that you could imagine. And he conquered. And his victory shows us the way to victory. That's why Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, of our faith. He shows us the way. (laughs) If you haven't realized it yet, let me remind you, we're not in paradise anymore. We never have been. We're not in paradise. We're in, if you will, the wilderness. And even places like Hawaii, I've been there. Had the privilege of being on the island of Maui Maui, and go way up into one of the waterfalls and it was absolutely pristine. It was amazing, but it wasn't paradise. Not like Adam and Eve had. You know why? The way they dress in Hawaii was a challenge for me. I wasn't even married at the time, but now I'm married. But even now I'm married and you think temptation goes away when you're married, you ain't married. Because all of us who are married know it doesn't go away. Guess what? In Hawaii, in Hawaii, people get sick. People die. Marriages struggle. People get addicted to drugs. There's conflicts. We're not in paradise anymore. Christians, Christians are persecuted in Hawaii just like they're persecuted anywhere else in the world. Maybe not to the degree in some places in the world. But hey, anywhere you go, we're not in paradise anymore. David faced the wild beast because he loved his father's sheep. Daniel faced the wild beast because of his faithfulness to God and his righteous work ethic. Paul the apostle faced wild beast in Ephesus, and here's what he writes about it. If I have fought wild beast in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? Think about that. If there's not something else, I'm going to get out of this. Why am I doing it? There's got to be a great reward. Because the reason he was with the wild beast there is because of his faithfulness to God. Same reason Jesus was in the wilderness. And Satan wanted to take him down. Just like he wanted to take Paul the apostle down. 
Jesus conquered. And you and I can conquer because he conquered. Now, don't answer me out loud. Don't answer me out loud. But what's your situation in life? We may never have to literally face wild beasts like Paul or David or Daniel or even Jesus. We may never have to endure exact conditions like Jesus did in the temptation and the wilderness. But please, please do not miss the practical implications of his victory. Through his victory, if we'll follow his example, you can be victorious. Get this. You can be victorious in any situation and any condition in life. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And there are three things in the text. They are not hard to understand, but it's a different story to live it out on a daily basis. Not hard to understand. And here they are. Number one, he lived a life pleasing to the Father. That's what the text says. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Now, let me ask you. What had Jesus done up to this point for the Father to say, with you I'm well pleased? You might say, well, it's just because he's his son. Well, I'll accept that, but I think there's more to it than that. Remember Passover, they're at the feast. At least I think that was the feast, one of the Jewish feasts. And on the way back home, Joseph and Mary, two days later, realized Jesus is not with them. Now, if you understand how they travel, that wouldn't surprise you. They travel with a large uh, company of people, family, friends, neighbors. And so they think he's just with the family or somebody, you know. But they realize he's not here. So they turn around, they go back. When they get back, they find him in the temple. And he says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? And then it says this, then he went home with them and was subject to them. Amazing. The creator of the universe takes on human flesh and he's submissive, perfectly obedient to two parents and one of them is dad. It's not his real dad. Because Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. But let me take you a little further than that. Based on Old Testament scriptures, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us this. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, now I can't understand and completely, well, I understand it. I can't totally comprehend the truth of this prophetic scripture about Messiah. Because he said, when he came into the world, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It's written about me in the scroll, the Old Testament prophets. I've come to do your will, O God. So somehow... His attitude when he left the glories of heaven and was conceived in the Virgin Mary's womb, here's what he said, a body you've prepared for me. And in that body, he said, I've come to do your will. Now we know what the father's will was for Jesus, the Messiah. It was to come and die on a cross for the sins of the world. Now he's unique in that. God hasn't called anybody else to do that because nobody else can give a sacrifice for the sins of the world except him. So that was unique in terms of the will. But it's not unique in terms of God having a body prepared for him and in that body for him to live out and finish in victory the will of God. 
Let me tell you one scripture, and then I'm going to turn to the second one. The second one I'll turn to is Psalm 139. Psalm 139. But let me tell you, before I go to Psalm 139 and read it, about Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. God says about Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 1, before, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I've ordained that you are a prophet. Before he was ever conceived, God had a plan for him. And God had a body prepared. Jeremiah the prophet, here's the body I have prepared for you. He knew where he was going to be born, who he was going to be born to, and here's the plan I've got for your life. And you can only live out that plan in a body. Now let me really blow your mind. Psalm 139, verse 13. This psalm and this section can be applied to anybody, any one of us. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. What a great, mysterious truth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knew every one of us before we conceived. He knew who was going to be our mom, who was going to be our dad, where we'd be born, where we'd grow up. And before any of that, he had a plan. He said, I got a body prepared for you, and I got a plan for you. And it's up to you whether you're going to live it out or not. Fascinating. Our text, Mark 1, tells us that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. Why did Jesus have to be baptized? He wasn't baptized for the remission of sins. He never sins. We know that. But there is a reason for his baptism that's the same reason for you and I to be baptized in water. You know what it is? It's an identification with death and an identification with resurrection. Jesus, in fulfilling the Father's will, would have to die to himself. Okay? That's why he says, you want to be my disciple and follow me, you got to deny yourself. And when you're baptized in water, that's what it signifies. That you, by faith in Christ, Romans chapter 6, don't you know that when you were baptized, you were baptized into his death. So that now you're also raised just as Christ was raised, so that you may live a new life. And the context of Romans 6 goes on to say, so now... Offer the instruments of your body as instruments of righteousness. Romans puts it this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy, and get this, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Before Jesus ever did anything, before he ever healed anybody, before he went out and get, did good deeds, before he did any of that, the Father says, you're my son, I love you, and with you I'm well pleased. Because he was willing to take on a body, and in that body, offer himself. Please understand, this is basic stuff, but listen to me. It's not, well, I'll give you this half, but I'll keep this half. Well, I'll give you my arms, but I'm going to keep my legs. Or I'll give you my legs, and I'll, give you, I'll keep my arms. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. Here's what pleases the Father. Here's what pleases the Father. Here I am. Before you do anything, 
before you even know what his full plan is. Before I knew his plan was for 30 plus years to be the pastor of this church. I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. He sent me here. But it began with me saying, here I am. I would not be here if I hadn't done that. I wouldn't come here voluntarily. Don't take offense to that. I've told you that before. Listen, I didn't sit out and say, oh, let's choose the nicest place in the warm weather, place I want to retire. It had nothing to do with anything. I'm here because God sent me here. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you I'm here because there came a time I said, okay, Lord, I'm yours. And wherever you got me, wherever you got for me, whatever you got. But that's not only how you find out what God's will is. That's the only way. The, listen, that's the only way you can be victorious. You're not going to resist temptation if you're half-hearted. Half-hearted Christians live half-hearted Christian lives. You may give him part of yourself, but you're not going to give him that. No. You want to live a completely committed life? You have to be completely committed. It's a life pleasing to the Father, and that's what pleases the Father. I'm yours. Before you do anything, second path to victory, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I hope you've come to the place you realize you cannot do it on your own. Not by my, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I cannot handle it without the Holy Spirit's help. And neither can you. And I can't spend a lot of time on this one. I don't think we need to. I don't think we need to, but we need the Holy Spirit. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit again and again and again. Ephesians, the Greeks suggest keep on being filled. Keep on being filled. Like somebody said, I think it was Spurgeon, one of those great preachers of the past, said, why do we need to be filled again? And he had a great theological answer, because we leak. <laughs> and you want to keep on being filled, you have to stay humble, humble. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God gave me a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And he makes two statements there in that passage. God says to him, no, I'm going to leave that thorn because my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's why he said, I delight in difficulties and hardships. What an amazing thing. You know what Luke chapter 4 verse 14 says? At the end of Jesus' 40 days of temptation in the wilderness by Satan, he goes back to Jerusalem. Here's what Luke 4 14 says. He returned to Jerusalem in the power of the Spirit. He's in the most weakened human state. But the Spirit's all over him. And he was victorious. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. A life pleasing to the Father, empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then last but not least, submission to the will of God. The translation in the 1984 NIV is a little, little, not necessarily disappointing, but when it says that once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, sent, sent. That's, some translations get it a little closer to the Greek term. Some translations say, and the Spirit drove him into the desert. It's the same Greek word used for Jesus driving out evil spirits. So understand, it wasn't the Spirit saying, want to take a walk in the wilderness? Like to go visit some animals? 
No, it was a spirit. It was a strong urging, pushing him, pushing him. Didn't make him go. He didn't make us go. And he could have resisted. Just like you and I can resist. Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this study of the book of Mark, Pastor Danny has been unpacking how time and time again, Jesus showed himself as a servant throughout his life here on earth. He was a prime example of what we should strive for as we live our days to the best of our ability. Most times, serving comes at a cost or a sacrifice for those you're serving, but it's worth it in the end. Jesus exemplified this with his sacrifice on the cross, serving us in the most ultimate life-altering way. We trust that this gives you hope, perseverance, and an ambition to serve those around you in a way that reflects Jesus to others. If you want to hear this teaching in the Book of Mark again, you'll find it by visiting our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you'll be notified as soon as we upload new videos. We also invite you to join our Bible reading program. Also under the Resources tab at ccfstpete.church. If you're looking for a church, we'd be happy to meet you at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. All the information you need is at ccfstpete.church, along with links to join us through the live stream. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in and learning more on The Living Word.